There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery. Code Wondery. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1115. Over at ID10T.com, we have many new things, new designs. Uh, there's a Daryl and Dog shirt up that is... 100% delightful, just through and through. One of my favorite things we've put up on the site so far on, uh, we're putting it on uh, t-shirts, sweatshirts, um, raglan t-shirts, which are those like three-quarter uh, baseball sleeve shirts. Uh, and it was designed by an incredibly talented artist named Matthew Lineham, uh, who is at M Lineham Art on Instagram. So head on over to the exclusive Daryl and Dog shirt at ID10T.com and sign up for our email list while you're there. So you can find out about such things so you don't have to hear about them in the intro of uh, podcasts and whatnot. Uh, let's talk about you, the ID10T community corkboard, like Aaron, who writes, I just want to share this great card game my friend Gia and I created, Not To Be Confused With, which is the name of the game, is a fast-paced, semi-strategic game that encourages you to be a know-it-all in front of your friends and family. Uh, if you enjoy card games or can name all the members of that one band or have an encyclopedic knowledge of people's names, or if you just know a lot of different names from history, literature, movies, television, please help this game become a reality. We think you'll enjoy it as much as we do. Uh, it's on Kickstarter, and the short link is bit.ly slash not dash confused. Uh, so thank you, Aaron. Well done. Events at ID10T.com for anyone else who wants to share the thing. Um, this episode is comedian Erica Rhodes, who I met, uh, she did at Midnight a Bunch, super funny, super cool and nice, and uh, she has a new comedy special out called La Vie en Rhodes, um, which was done uh, during the pandemic, actually, outside um, in a kind of a drive-in configuration at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, and that is coming out April 13th on uh, Comedy Dynamics, and it's just so inspiring to see uh, that Erica was out there making comedy during the pandemic. I have not made any comedy during the pandemic, so I'm really impressed and inspired by the comics who have, uh, and also just excited that things are starting to open back up. I might actually have uh, tour dates soon. Erica definitely has tour dates uh, that you can go check out, so uh, look for her. Uh, Erica Rhodes, fantastic guest, Really great comedian on the ID10T podcast, 1115, which we begin right now. Roll the thing! Initiating ID10T protocol. Hey, Chris. Hey, Erica. 
How's it going? Good. How are you doing? We're hanging in there, you know. Right. We're, we're hanging in there. Oh God, we're so close. We're just like the light at the tunnel. It's just so like we're just we're just like it feels like we're just about to hit the lights, you know. Like that's kind of how we feel over here. Where Where are you? We're in Los Angeles. Okay. Where are you? L.A. Oh, you're in L.A. too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it just, it just, I mean, listen, we're not ready for indoor dining yet, but <laughs> we just are starting to feel like, oh my gosh, there could be, a, I know people are starting to book shows, you know? And yeah. I'm not there yet, but it's fun. It's, <laughs> but it's like, it feels good knowing that it's, it's happening. Are you doing the vaccine thing or what are you? We are going to, yeah, for sure. But even, even once that happens, we're still like, we don't have this mindset of like, let's just run around town and go indoors everywhere. You know, like we're still, we're going to do it. And it's really just, you know, like a step, but I'll be able to like hug my mom who got vaccinated a couple of weeks ago and we'll be able to see some friends and, um, you know, go on a road trip maybe, but, but we're not going to go crazy. What about you? Well, I've been crazy because I've already been traveling. <laughs> really? How is it? I mean, it's fine because like I've done clubs where it's just really small turnouts, you know, right. and I don't do any meet and greets and I just wasn't that freaked out. Oh, that's good. That actually is really um, that's really encouraging to hear because it's hard for me to th- even think about that right now because uh, the last time I did stand up was like, February, I think it, I think there might've been a February 29th in 2020, but it was the end of February. I was at the punchline in San Francisco doing meet and greets, you know, giving high fives, taking pictures and stuff. And then like a week later it was like, don't leave your house. And so uh, I just immediately sort of just shut down to the possibility of stand up. But you say it's like, it feels okay. Yeah, I mean, I felt pretty safe. Like once I did it a few times, I was like, okay, I'm over the hump of really freaking out. But I also don't have a family I'm worried about, you know, like I'm not, I don't have, like I'm not living with other people. So I don't feel responsible. Plus I, I, I know a lot of people have said this, but I was convinced I had it last March. Uh Like, cause I got sick twice in a row and I just felt like, okay, I got it over with. (laughs) Right, right, right. Well, maybe it did, and maybe maybe you know, maybe that was maybe that was you know like helped kind of shield you from just the craziness of everything. I just I can't imagine like the people that come to see your shows. They must be super psyched to be out of the house. I would imagine. Yeah, they're so happy to be there. Like I did shows in Alameda, and it was outside, so it you know that felt safe. But they had not. None of them had been out. They were like, "We're just amazed that we're even out." Like, like, I don't even think they heard any comedy. They were just like, thank you for getting us out of the house today. (laughs) Great. I mean, that, you know, because listen, you know, it was easy to sort of take all that stuff for granted before and be like, I don't got, what do we have to like put on clothing and go park the car and have to wait in a line. And now people are like, oh my God, let's put on clothes and go get in the car and go, you know, so it's those those things that help us to reappreciate just the simple wonders of life, like just going to a show. Yeah, it feel it does feel nice to perform. I I just I'm not good with downtime. 
Right. No, I'm not good with that. I mean, it is pretty impressive that, uh, I mean, I am in total awe of the fact that you were able to continue writing, continue performing, shot a special. Like, <laughs> like my, honestly, my comedy brain just shut down because when I don't have shows coming up, it's very hard for me to to feel motivated. And so everything just sort of like goes into screensaver mode. Did you do anything online at all or did you just do your podcast and yeah. I, I didn't, did you do a lot of like Zoom style shows? In the beginning and then I got burnt out. I was like, this just takes too much energy. I feel like I'm like shouting into, like I'm trying to reach them. And so I'm like <laughs> leaning in and shouting and it just didn't feel, it didn't feel organic, you know? I thought I, I had was concerned that it would feel that way. And I watched a couple that I was like, oh, this is actually, the comics are doing a great job. And, but, and then, but then Ron Funches said, well, he goes, it, you just have to pretend it's like those early open mic days. And I go, oh my God, that's the perfect, where you might get a reaction or maybe there's only a couple people and, you know, but Jackie Cation does them all the time and she's doing great. So I, you know, I think some people are just really adept at adapting to it. And I'm just... I'm just a real fuddy-duddy about it. I'm like, I just need to be in a room with people. I can't, I don't, I feel weird. Yeah, it's definitely not the same. And there's a delay, so you have to wait. You have to, like, wait for the laugh to land. Jackie actually had a good note for me on that, which she was like, you have to pretend. <laughs> and it is it is sort of a fun theater of the mind exercise. She's like, just pretend you're in a big theater and you're waiting for the sound to hit the back of the room. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I'll pretend I'm in a big theater instead of in my living room with <laughs> in their living rooms. And their internet connection. What a fun exercise that pretend is. Pretend it's where you want to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I always thought I was, I really questioned like, well, maybe I'm not a real comic because real comics need to be on stage all the time. And honestly, I love performing more than anything, but I'm also fine when I'm not doing it. Like, I don't feel like, oh man, I'm freaking out. I got to get up there. I just feel like, okay, well, I'm just, I'll just go into like cryostasis for a year and then I'll go back when it's okay. Well, maybe you're just stable. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> That's a positive spin. Right? You're just emotionally more stable than most of us. <laughs> maybe you don't lose your identity you know maybe you don't tie your identity to what you do as much as some people you know I I I, I know I used to and then as I got older I started to try to separate from a little bit because someone said something to me once that I found very impactful there were it was something like you are not your career or your it's something like your career is just a thing you do. It's not who you are. And I was like, Oh my, which is very related to like, your thoughts are not who you are. Oh my God. What, you know, it's all that kind of mindfulness stuff where you, you're like, Oh, but my thoughts have been talking to me my whole life. So they're just, that's a separate. Yeah. So your career is not, no, you can, just, you know, Oh my God, what, you know, I mean, it was, it was kind of life-changing, but then also I feel like in a way I was like, Oh man, is that, is my work going to suffer now? Because I, I feel better about myself. No, I think you'll just live longer. <laughs> uh, I don't I just don't know. I just don't know. I do miss it, though. I, yeah, but I, I think it's normal to take breaks, right? I mean, when you've been doing it a long time, you don't need to have that hustle mentality. I think you're right. I do, because I think 
tell me if you've had this experience too, where you, you know, there's like a comic that you watched a ton of. And then as that comic got older, you just didn't see him that much anymore. And I think sometimes when comics hit their like 50s, 60s, whatever, it's just such a, it's such a hungry, there's like a hunger that you have to have to perform because it's Hmm. performing. Cause my wife says like, do you miss it? And I go, well, I miss the performing, but I don't miss all of the getting on planes, having to futz to get my luggage, you know, getting up at seven o'clock to do morning radio, get, you know, doing five shows doing, you know, so there's a, you know, like making sure that I'm like the work, the work part. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I want the fun part. (laughs) Could you post more because your shows? Oh God. Okay. You know, the actual performing I love, but I realize like everything around it's kind of a drag. It's the traveling sucks. I almost had a panic attack on my way home. I was in Utah last weekend and it's already crazy at the airport and they redid the Utah airport. So now you have to walk like three miles to the gate. So we walk three miles. Then they send us down back the stairs. We went up three flights already. Now we go back down. Then they send us onto a shuttle and the shuttle goes out to the plane and we're all stuck on the shuttle for like 25 minutes with no air and the sun beating down on us. Are these and I was like, can we please open the door? <laughs> is, 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 are these COVID protocols or is it just like, what, what I don't know. do you do with? Then they're like, oh, well, we're going to have the, the middle seat empty. Well, that means nothing if you put us boxed into a shuttle for 30 minutes together with no air circulation. <laughs> that reminds me a bit of that game where you do the, like, the, I think it was called, like, where you make. Oh my God, people. that just brought back so many memories, this game. What, what, it, what it game called? is that? But it was like you'd fold the paper up and then you'd put your yes! in it and do the, you know, forward side, forward side, forward side, and then you'd. You'd open up a thing. Oh my like, God. That game. Do, do brought, this. Do that. That great. I, I was obsessed with that game when I was a kid. I can't remember what it was called, but it, but. You would uh, make the paper things and then, yeah, you would, you would say which it was like a topic or you choose something. Yeah. And then. Whoa. And then, and then, uh. Uh, a friend of mine had an old friend of mine had a joke about it where you'd go through like nine steps and then you'd open up the last thing and it'd be like, fuck you, you know? So you'd go, and that to me felt like what you just described where it's like, yeah. they put you through all these things and I'm surprised that some gate agent didn't just come out and flip everyone off and go, okay, fuck you guys. And then they just leave you on the tarmac and then that's it, you know? Yeah, basically that's what it felt like. It was horrible. So yeah, you're not missing out with the travel. Were you at Wise Guys? Yeah. That's a fun club. That's I love it. Club. It's one of my favorite clubs. They used to, there was one that was just out of the center of town a little bit. And it was like, the club was really kind of like a conference room. But then the last time I was there a few years ago, it was like a real, and that room was fun too. But this, but this room was like a nice little dinner theater club. Really, Which really one cool. do you do when you do it? Have you done Ogden? I don't think I've done Ogden. I did the one that's like kind of, more in the center of town. Okay, the downtown one? I guess so, yeah. I guess okay. the downtown one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I miss that club and I miss... What are your favorite clubs? I miss, I miss Comedy Works in Denver, Acme in Minneapolis. I think you maybe did your last album at Helium, I'm guessing. Yes, I love Helium. 
Helium's great. Yeah. I had done one show there when I cho- decided to do my album there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had one good show and I was like, that's it. I'm doing my album there. And then I, then I was like, wait, that might've been just a lucky night. <laughs> But, but it worked, worked out. out. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, Erica, there's so many things that I want to talk to you about because I read, is it cello? Do you play cello? I do. I have it right over there. And your mom was a violinist. Yes. I am so, and then of course we'll talk about comedy, but I, <laughs> so, have you been playing cello your entire life? I have, but I have to say I take very long breaks now. But you've but 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 when you start when you're a kid, it's always just in your muscle memory, right? That's true. Yeah. I'm so jealous of people who started an instrument when they were young because I started as a very grown adult, and I find it thoroughly. I love it, but it's very frustrating. How uh, many do you play? More than one instrument? I forget. Uh, play- I I mean I play uh, guitar and piano. Um, I'm, you don't play trumpet, do you? No, but that would be great. Why did I think you? Okay, so one time I saw you at the nerd at the meltdown. Did I, I have feel a, like? Do you have a trumpet joke? No, uh, I don't think so. Okay, you know. must have been talking about guitar then. Or, or I mean, you know, who knows? Because that <laughs> that was such a fun, like loose room that there could have been like a trumpet just sitting like there could have been a trumpet prop you know (laughs) I don't know why I'm thinking you said something about trumpet at some point but it might have just been that you were talking about an instrument maybe I'm wasting my time on the two wrong instruments and trumpet you know how many stand-up trumpetists are there (laughs) trumpeteer trumpetists actually that's a really trumpets trumpists no trumpeteer trumpeteer i like trumpeteer this is gonna be the podcast where we talk about trump the most but it's not about trump it's about trumpets (laughs) (laughs) no it's about literal trumpet you were talking about the trump it yeah yeah, i support trumpets i don't like what's the confusion i i just i don't know what's hard about that tell us though there are they fretless yes so it's just the uh bridge and the strings that to me is a mind blowing, like I can't even fully wrap my mind around it because without having really struggled through guitar the last two and a half years, and and that's even with frets, like so much of the map of the guitar is based on the fret board and getting around and all the patterns. So can you please explain to me how a fretless instrument works? Well, so you learn, like when you're little, you learn where the first note is, like, um, so you learn the scale and it's muscle memory. So you just kind of, so they, they'll put stickers on when you first start. Okay. To remember, and then it's muscle memory and, and your ear. Okay. So you learn by ear. Oh my God. That's like just, all the, yeah. So and the separation of your fingers. And did you, when you started, did you, did you feel like that this was a potential career path or was it just well, my mom's a violinist, so I'm going to take cello and who knows. Yeah, I went to, I, I was a music major in college. So I was a cello major at, at Boston University for a year. Yeah. And uh, then I dropped out. (laughs) (laughs) 
there's nothing like academic study to take the real fun out of <laughs> playing an instrument. Well, the problem is that I, I wasn't good at music theory. I was oh. very bad. So I learned everything by ear. So I would like, I would sit in the back of orchestra until I learned it. And I would sort of airplay, like I would kind of fake playing. Yeah. And that's not fun, you know, to like sit there not knowing how to play for the first couple weeks. And then I'd finally learn it by ear and then I could play it. Um, but, but music theory was so hard for me. And is it with a, when you're a cello player, because at least, you know, with guitar, even piano, you might say, hey, I'm going to, I could be a solo player. Like you could play guitar by yourself or you could play piano by yourself. Is there a, can you play, is this a dumb question? Can you play cello as a solo artist or do you, is it, do you really just kind of need to find your way into an ensemble? Yeah, that's not a dumb question. It's actually, yeah, I think it's very hard to be a soloist with any classical instrument. It's so competitive and then there aren't that many pieces. Like you could play Bach cello suites alone. Yeah. And that's what I tend to play alone. But everything else, you know, you either need a piano or an orchestra. Even concertos, you have an orchestra behind you. Right. So. I It was just the 300th anniversary of the Brandenburg Concertos. And I was reading oh. an article about Bach that said... This, I mean, you know, when you listen to, when I listen to classical music, I just think, oh, it's so ethereal and lovely. You know, I don't ever think about, well, what, what were the composers trying to say, you know? Right. Because now when we want to say something, we just say it, you know? But then um, I was reading this article about how Bach specifically would put instruments to play together that weren't considered that people didn't think should play together, like the violin, which was very well regarded, and the viola, which was not well regarded. And he would play them together as sort of a, as sort of a, if I'm reading this correctly, as a rebellion to make a statement about class struggle, to say like oh. everything should be equal. And so he would put these instruments together. And I was like, holy shit, I just never. That's, I, that's interesting. I didn't know that either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll see if I can find the article and share with you because it's it is it sort of talks and also that Bach didn't uh I don't think he died thinking he was a particularly successful art composer. Like he there were instances of him like you know trying to get work and and submitting these Brandenburg concertos to like the prince of the area to be like, "Hey, I'd like to be your core composer." And the guy just never responded. Oh no. I thought that they just knew they were successful if they had it played at all. Like if they had their music played live at all, but I guess not. What do you, what do you like about uh, the Bach pieces? Oh gosh, that's a hard thing to articulate. I mean, they're like some of the best pieces on cello, you know, Um, they're just, gosh, I don't know how to explain it, but I guess it is because you can play it alone and it feels like, you don't need the support of, a, of another instrument and they're very lyrical and romantic. Did you ever, and this also, this also might be a dumb question, but did you ever consider incorporating a cello into your act at all? Or is that... You- Everybody asks me that and I just have anxiety about that because A, I don't want to be known as the cello girl, you know? Like, <laughs> I don't want to be like, oh, she's the cello girl. <laughs> <laughs> and then I have to like, and the other thing is like, I hate how like, 
you have to drag it everywhere. You know, you have to drag it. I mean, I'd have to buy, you know, a separate ticket for it. And oh, really? Yeah, because it's it's such an expensive instrument. You can't just put it with luggage. Like, you'd have to buy a ticket and, like... Oh, yeah, I've seen how guitars get handled. Like, yeah. <laughs> I've seen, like, guitar cases get chucked up onto the thing like, I hope that was a hard shell case. Cause. Yeah, and guitars are much less expensive. Like a cello is super expensive. So you just can't mess around. And there's no, I mean, I guess, I mean, there probably are like inexpensive road cellos, but they probably just don't sound as great. Yeah, they don't sound good at all. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code AUDIO to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code AUDIO at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code AUDIO. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you feel like it's important for you to have something that's just separate from work that's for you, for just your own enjoyment, rather than like trying to figure out how to monetize something? Yeah, I think that's how I feel about cello. I mean, it's kind of there when I want to pick it up, but I don't feel the need to do it for a purpose. Yeah. It's kind of just nice. So then how did you, so when you left Boston University, as a cello player, were you already doing stand-up at that point or did you know? No, I'm a late bloomer to stand-up. Like I, I did acting school first. So I went to the Atlantic Theater Conservatory uh-huh. in New York and I studied acting. And then when I moved to LA, I was still not doing stand-up. So um, it took me a lot, a lot of failing as an actress to finally <laughs> decide to do stand-up. But... <laughs> Do you find it uh, stand up is I like really empowering because it's hard to just go act, but you can just go do stand up. That's why. Well, that was the main reason I started because I was like, I can't wait for someone to give me the opportunity to perform. Like I just I need an outlet creatively. Otherwise, I go nuts. So I just felt like I had to figure out my own way. And I was like, I'm not doing theater in L.A. That's not happening. Right. <laughs> I know there is theater in LA, but it's yeah. not like, I don't think, I don't know how much, well, especially, unfortunately now, uh, you know, but um, with just everything that's gone on in the last year, but, but yeah, I, I tend to think that when people go, I'm going to go do theater, they don't go Los Angeles. Right. I actually did try theater here at one point and it was a terrible experience. So I was oh, like, I'm no. never doing theater here again. But this is funny. One time my mom told me, like, this was recent, like a couple of years ago. She's like, because she hates L.A., so she like never visits. And she's like, if she goes, if you do something big, I'll, I'll come out there. 
And I was like, like big as in what? Like, what do you mean big? And she goes, like a play. <laughs> I mean, how is I that? Like, I don't do plays. You could just tell her that your stand-up show is a play. It's a play where I play myself and <laughs> my character talks about you a little bit. <laughs> so you, okay, so you were studying conservatory in New York and then what, like, what was that catalyst for you that said, I'm going to go do an open mic or I'm going to, was there like an, were there exercises that you were doing at conservatory that were stand-up adjacent or... Like, what was the thing that kind of pushed you in that direction? Um, like, are you saying when I did theater, how did that go to stand up? Or yeah, yeah. like what what helped you? Because I I'm always interested to hear everyone's kind of stand up journey because comedy is just one of those things where a lot of people, you know, we we grow up and we, in our schools and in our towns or whatever, we feel oh, it's weird. I don't fully like vibe with everyone else here and then you start to get older and you meet other comics and then you realize like oh it comedy's just a thing and other people think in this kind of weird roundabout way and I'm not weird but these are the people that I connect with uh and so I do feel like we do we are sort of called to it in a weird way did you feel that way at all it's funny because I felt like I got a lot of clues that it was what I was supposed to do before I caught on. Yeah, Be, like I, you just uh, m- triggered my memory because I remember I auditioned for Juilliard Acting School. Wow! And auditioned, I didn't get in, <laughs> and uh, I I went I went and um, all the I overheard this actress girl talking about her process before the audition she's like yeah I just like I just want to like be where like I can just like be myself and like be open and like just like really be vulnerable and like the other girl was like yeah I totally know what you mean like wow like that's so amazing I'm just like listening to these people and this guy comes in with a cello he was like in the orchestra and he just goes to be or not to be and just made fun of everybody and I was like that's my people those are my people and so I got confused because I thought oh it's a musician I like right he had a cello so I should do music and then I realized oh no it's it's funny funny is what I like right you know it's it's not the well musicians happen to be really funny yeah a lot of musicians are and I feel like a lot of comedians kind of want to be musicians but a lot of musicians kind of want to be comedians at the same time totally that is like completely true um did i'm so fascinated by the so they sent me full disclosure they i didn't get sent the new special until yesterday so i have not unfortunately had a chance to watch it so i a thousand times apologize i will watch it but i did when we booked you for the podcast i listened to sad lemon which was great. I mean, like, again, Portland, Helium, you know, like the set was great. And, uh, and you had, you had one of those jokes in there that I heard and I was like, Oh my God, it was one of those jokes. Like I wish I had written, which was, um, uh, spoiler for anyone who hasn't heard the album yet. I was sober for 15 years and then I turned 16. I was like, God damn it. That <laughs> joke was, it was just there. It was just there the whole time. So Hats oh, off thanks. That's such an old joke. I like never do it anymore. <laughs> oh, it's a great joke. Oh, thanks. So, uh, is Levian Rhodes? Is it a new set, or is it some of some of that set, or what's the? 
what was the because the last album just came out in 2019. Yeah, it's um, it still has some of those jokes, um, but then I I think it's about half and half. And you did it at as sort of like a, I know you did it at the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Um, how what how I have a lot of questions about the outdoor comedy with people in cars like drive-in style. Uh, do you was it um, was it fun or did you kind of have to like readjust? to the vibe of it? Well, it was it was a little bit strange because not everybody was mic'd, so you could only hear about 20 cars mic'd, okay. but you could hear them. But it was a little bit, I had to adjust because sometimes I would think a joke would bomb, you know, but then suddenly there'd be the like honking yeah. from the back and then it would be like a honking applause break. So I would, I, so, so it was a little confusing because you couldn't really read like if something worked or not, you just had to trust that it it would work eventually, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, that's such an interesting dynamic because it, uh, it in theory, like makes sense. Well, if people, you know, like they pull up and they're outside, if you can see them and you can hear them, it's, it's a comedy show. Like there's no. But I just could never. I I knew people who did who did some of the drive-in shows, and they they were like, "Oh, it's it's a it's such an interesting dynamic." The horn honking to me is hilarious. Yeah, because you you're used to having bad negative connotations with honking, but then <laughs> by the end of the set, I'm like, I love honking. I I want more honking. <laughs> off the people are laying on their horn. I like this thing. I yeah. really like this. You are great. Great. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really weird. So yeah. And uh, do you, when did you shoot it? Uh July. Oh oh wow, that was like that was really early on with everything. You didn't waste any time. Well, yeah, because we were initially supposed to do it in April um, as part of Tribeca. It oh. was like it was gonna be part of Tribeca. And the funny part, the joke on me part, is that when they first brought it to me, I looked at the venue we were going to do the special in, you know, in New York. And I told my manager, I was like, I don't know, the ceilings look a little high. (laughs) (laughs) So the good news is we've taken out the ceiling completely. (laughs) (laughs) Now the ceiling is the sky. Is that okay for you? Okay. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> sorry for the notes. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> You're so right, though. I like the. I think people who don't, who don't really understand like all of the elements that really go into a comedy show, like what really make a comedy show work. And you're so right. Like tall ceilings are tough. They're really, really tough. You 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 really need like kind of a low ceiling to sort of just. So all the jokes can just sort of skim off the seat, like just like create a little atmosphere above people, but you don't want it to be like out in space. That's what's great about that Ogden club. Um, the wise guys Ogden club, the ceiling is pretty hot, low. Yeah. And same with uh, Acme comedy club. They're yep. pretty, lo- pretty low ceiling. Yeah. I often wonder if it has something to do with the fact that comedy like comedy should feel a little like a speakeasy in a way like, Oh, it's kind of naughty. What are we, you know, like, so sometimes when clubs are too nice, it can be a little tough because 
I think there's, I think that's why Meltdown worked because it was just in the back of a comic book store. Like, you know, there were big posts in the middle of the room. The ceilings were super low. Like it shouldn't have, it was almost like, oh, we snuck into this back room and now we're telling jokes. And yeah, it feels kind of, it feels more intimate. Like you feel like you're sharing an experience. That's exactly right. Yeah. And yeah. that that can dissipate when you have like a really tall, but, it, but you felt, do you feel good about, like when did you do the show one time or two times or how, how did well we did it once and so that was tough you know because there are a few things I will admit I wish I did differently but I'm sure that's normal totally um normal. you know certain things I think I wouldn't have done had it not been a drive-in I just a few little weird habits crept in where I was like well, why did I say that or why did I do that so I don't know I think it I I, I think it's a really cool thing because it will always be a time capsule of this moment. Yeah, that's true. And I don't think a lot of other, I don't know how many other people did specials that way, but I can't imagine it was, if anyone else, that it was that many. Like, it's going to be a real special thing. Yeah, that makes me feel better. (laughs) (laughs) And also, again, I'm just, I'm so impressed um, because when I heard that, uh, when your name came in to do the show and they said, oh, she did this, but I was like, oh my God, we ha- I would love to have her on. Cause you did at midnight a couple times. You yeah, I did it a bunch of times. And, and that was a big deal for me, by the way. So I oh, should really? thank, I should thank you. Yeah. Well, no, you were great on the show. It was great. And, and it, and it, it really, you really, um, like your style worked really well in that environment too. Like just the you know, like quick jokes, you know, like really punch. It was just, it was, you were great on the show. Oh, thanks. Well, so are you. I still get people who, after shows being like, I, f- I found you from at midnight. I, 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 you know, when people say like, uh, I, I'm torn about it because when they go, oh, I miss it. You know, I wish it would, you know, I wish there was a way to do it again. And I always sort of feel like maybe that's good because you never want people to be like, is that still on? You know what I mean? Like, it's nice when people, when you sort of get to kind of wrap something up and people think of it fondly and not like, oh God, this show is, it's, it's still on, you know? Well, also you, you also caught a wave, you know, in the beginning of Twitter. Right. Where it's like, it was a novelty to sort of have that audience engagement like that. Right. You know, and now it's a little bit like everyone, Twitter's just a little bit crazy. I don't think it would be the same. I, I tell you though, I miss, I just, I love comedy so much yeah. that I miss just being around comics and getting to sort of riff with really, you know, funny people and getting to discover comedians that I wasn't as familiar with before and playing around with comedians that I look up to. I mean, it, it just, you know, have you, yeah. do you ever think about like pitching a panel show or would you want to host a panel show? I don't think I'd be very good at it. I was in awe of you. Like you could just, you, you have one of those personalities where you can just keep things going. And I am not that type. Like I'm like, I get distracted. I, you know, I'm not organized in my brain. So hosting is hard for me. Like even hosting normal shows has always been hard. It, uh, it, it is a weird, I don't know. It, it is a weird muscle, I guess, but I don't know. I, I really honestly think, you know, maybe it's something just to, to pitch out there, you know, cause I think I, I, to me, panel shows should be everywhere. Like 
England has a shit ton of panel shows and there are almost none in the States. And it feels like there's a million channels. Why are there not more panel shows? Like it's a great way for comedians to not have to burn through their material. You know, they're fun to do. People seem to enjoy them. So I don't know. Maybe it's something to pitch out there that you'd consider at some point, like coming up with a with a show if, if that ever interested you. Yeah, maybe. Are you thinking of doing another one? I always think of doing another one, but it's always <laughs> just trying to figure out like what it, like what's the, what's the hook of it? Like the, At Midnight had a really strong hook because of what Really good about. hook. Yeah, yeah, really good. And so I don't, I think for the longest time, like Chelsea lately worked really well, but then there was this like everyone tried to copy that show and they're like, oh, you just put a bunch of funny people around a table and then magic happens. And it's like, well, it needs more of a structure than that. And so it's really, and they were able to do it well on that show. And I loved doing that show, but it, but it's, there's more to it than just like squish a bunch of funny people together and watch the magic. So it, to me, it just always right. comes down to like, well, what's the idea? Like, what is, what's the reason? Having a fake game show was a blast because it was a great reason to get everyone together. But you know, now I just I'm like, ah, what's the, what's the, what's the thing that gets all the comics there that justifies its existence? Right. Then I, I don't know. Do you, uh, is acting, do you audition for acting stuff still? I do still audition once in a while when it's something like I, I would really want to do. Um, but I'm more interested in sort of pitching my own show. I've been pitching like my own stuff. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm more interested in sort of writing, creating my own thing. Yep. Yeah. It, uh, I had, I, I realized that when you audition for stuff, the, I don't mean you, I mean the general, yeah. me, you, all the, every other actor, you know, it's, it is that sort of frustrating thing of like, eh, there's no way to know how or when I'm going to get picked for something. And then there's that thing where you audition and then you don't get it. And then you feel bad, even though you kind of didn't want it to begin with. And it just, right. it's just that kind of weird frustration. Yeah. It's sort of a hamster wheel thing. It's a total hamster wheel. And it, and some people are really, really good at it. And I just, I was never a great auditioner. No, me neither. Not, not really my thing. So are you working on a scripted, like a scripted half hour or a scripted hour? Yeah, um, I well, I wrote a pilot with a friend, and uh, I, we took it out, but we never took it out to networks. So we wanted to try to take it out to networks, yeah. and that was a little bit more of like um, a higher concept thing, kind of crazy. Yeah. And then I was working on something with a writer, and we were taking that out too, but I didn't r- really write it as much. So I, I, my goal is to write my own thing. Yeah, I tried like one draft and my manager was like, that was not very good. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I think it's because I just I'm not used to writing scripts. It's just different than, you know, stand up. Yeah. So I yeah. can write shorts. I've written a couple of short films and stuff, but I haven't written like a full thing yet. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. 
Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Sound the gifting panic alarm. We've all been there. You need to find the perfect gift. You have absolutely zero ideas and you don't know where to start. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. Just answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Imagine pages of artisan espresso mugs for the coffee connoisseur in your life. Or for the pickleballer, customized paddle covers in every shade imaginable. Etsy's got you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. That that part of the writing process is a real different skill set. I completely agree. I've I've tr- I've tried to do it before, and I've been lucky enough to collaborate with people who are much smarter than I am. And I don't think I could have done it without that because that three act structure, of, yeah, like the the sort of the flow of like set up this scene and then some jokey jokes and then it's got to go somewhere and set up the next scene and then <laughs> jokey jokes and then too many jokey jokes are not enough for it ends weird. Right. Yeah. It's, it is a structure thing. So maybe, maybe I just need to accept collaborating with people to write something. I, I, I guess I falsely assume that because everyone has streaming services now, like all the big companies have streamers. It's like, why the fuck doesn't everyone just get a show? Like there's, I know. it's not like you're competing for a Thursday at 8 PM slot. There's infinite, bandwidth on your streaming service why not just give every comedian a show why don't what do you think of this nft stuff like i i don't know yet i mean it's it it definitely feels feels like a bubble um yeah but i do i do believe that it will settle into a place because the thing that i really um am drawn to about it is that you know, if you buy a piece of art, that art can change hands, but the original artist that doesn't affect them, you know, like they don't get paid every time someone else. So if people are trading something on the chain of a piece of art, in theory, I guess my understanding is that the original artist will get a cut of that sale as it changes hands. And so I find that really interesting. And also that it's a digital asset can be so many different types of media that... I think people will get creative. I think there'll be an initial land rush at first of like, you know, oh, I I photocopied my nostrils and I sold it for <laughs> 10 grand. But I don't know how, you know, like I, I I feel like it'll start. Remember how like when VR was big a handful of years ago and everyone was like, everything's going to be in VR. And it's like, well, some things work in VR, but not all things work in VR. True. So I think it could be like that. I don't know. What do you think? No, I just don't know much about it. I just keep seeing people talking about it. And I'm like, I don't understand. Like, are comics going to start doing that? Like, are they going to start selling specials as an NFT? Or moments, you know? Like, I think it's one of those things where it really appeals to the to collectors. Um, mm. 
and it was, I'm not a sports person, but I understand this idea as a collector, as you see all this Disney stuff that's behind me. Um, But, uh, you know, like there's, there's a big market right now for, for like diehard sports fans, like buying NBA moments. Oh, that, you know, like I bought the moment where, and, you know, and some people go, well, that's dumb. You know, you're not owning a physical thing. And it's like, yeah, but it's really, isn't it kind of like with any sort of art where it's the bragging right of like, I own that thing where that person says like, I bought that moment and they can't do anything with it other than they have the satisfaction of knowing that they kind of own that piece of history in a way. And so with standups, I think it could be the kind of thing where, you know, like, there might be like NFT carve outs and contracts now. Like, so when you shoot a special, maybe you have the right for a certain number of your own NFT moments that you can sell or companies will try to jump on that. So like CBS Viacom is like, we're going to own a handful of NFT rights to sell. And it might just be like another revenue stream, but I honestly don't know. I mean, is that, do you you think that's something that you are going to look into or get involved with? I mean, I wasn't really thinking about it, but I just keep seeing it everywhere, you know, so it just, it just sort of sparked my curiosity. I was like, it, would, it could be fun to do something just as that. Right. Just as an experiment, but I still don't understand what it is. So I guess I'd have to figure out what it is first. Okay. I, this, this, I'm really <laughs> interested to hear your take on what are your thoughts on TikTok? And I, I know I sound like an old person when I say this, I feel a hundred, a as a comedian, I feel like uh, it's a performance platform. I should be on it. Most of my friends are posting shit all the time. And yet, like, I just don't know if I have the emotional energy for a whole nother platform. I don't. I can't. I just can't get into it. And everybody tells me, like, you need to be on TikTok. You need to be on TikTok. And I just can't gather the strength to do it. It does feel like... Like when you start thinking about setting up something and planning stuff or whatever, it's like, well, now that's a job. <laughs> yes. And I just don't really understand the platform in general. Like I don't get the point of it. Okay. So I felt the same way when it first launched, because it was a lot of just people like lip syncing and, and, you know, and then I saw an article that very succinctly kind of basically said, you know, Instagram, because I said, well, like, why is it different than stories? Instagram is really kind of a lifestyle blog and TikTok is a performance platform. And I was like, that's it. So it, it makes sense from that point of view, but I just, you know, I also just feel so exhausted by how we're like that this sort of your way. your expression right now is exactly how it makes me feel like just putting your like hands face on in your hand. head like <laughs> like do I have the emotional energy to be judged by like to, uh, for another fake metric to help me feel you know like whether or not I should be performing or not like I I just don't know no I don't I've I've opted out I I don't feel bad about it you know I just. I'm putting my energy to other things. I just don't care. You know, there are people who go like, well, you know, you just don't pay any attention. You just like, you put it up if you like it. And then whatever, like if people watch it, they watch it. If they don't, they don't. And it's like, yeah. But even people who say that, I'm sure they look and go, oh, this one only got like a thousand likes, but then the other one got like a hundred thousand. So what's the difference? And what do I, 
Do I need to start doing more impressions? Like the second I start feeling like, do I need to start doing more impressions? I'm like, okay, you're being ruined by like, don't let it go. Let it go. I think there comes a point where you just have to say, what do I actually like doing? Yeah. And not what do I, what am I supposed to be doing or what do I need to be doing or what are, what's someone else doing? Well, then I would reintroduce back to you what you said to me earlier is you might just be very healthy. <laughs> you might be too <laughs> sick, but you might be too healthy to do TikTok. <laughs> that's a good call. That's a good callback, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if we are actually at the point where we can say, like, you know, just do stuff because you like it. And even and even honestly, I do wonder because I, I find it very interesting. Like I I think the intuitive like people would intuitively think like, well, if someone has a big audience on what plat- on one platform, they have a big audience everywhere. But I think what we're learning is that the platforms are very platform specific. Like people who have big YouTube followings, those people don't always follow them to Instagram, who don't always follow them to TV, who don't always, like sometimes they do. But if you have a big following on TikTok, does that mean that, you know, 10,000 people are going to show up at your comedy show. And I don't think so, but I don't know. I don't think so either. I I don't even, I don't even know about Twitter because I have a huge Twitter following, but I, they don't always show up. Yeah. I think there's, it's, it's a lot different. It's a lot, you know, like when you're just looking at something on your phone, which is wherever you happen to be is a lot different than, you know, exerting the energy to, trade in money to physically go to a place at a specified time and sit and be in an audience. It just, the, those things, because I think in the early days of Twitter, everyone assumed like, oh my God, if you have, you know, a lot of followers, you know, even if 1% of your followers, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, they, but it doesn't, it doesn't really, it doesn't really work that doesn't really work that way. Like it's a digital platform that people have in their pocket, basically. Right. I don't see it translating. And I think it doesn't even TikTok to television doesn't always seem to quite translate. Yeah. Because it's the medium itself is a, is there, they're sort of like every platform has a different dialect and a different sort of communal language that isn't like you can't, like a TikTok, like doing a TikTok bit on television is a little odd because it's not, the medium isn't right for that. It has its own language and its own and TikTok is it's kind of its own thing. So I'm, yeah, from that standpoint, I kind of think about if I have, if I have limited energy, what's going to get people to come out to shows? And I just, I'm not convinced that TikTok is going to do that. I guess you're right. If it's fun for you, do it. And if it, if it seems like a chore, then don't do it. Right. Like if you, if you'd rather do your podcast, do your podcast. I I don't even have a podcast. So like I'm ancient history. (laughs) You're the last holdout. (laughs) I'm the last. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, come on. What are you, what are you waiting for? Everyone's come on. Everyone's got a podcast. (laughs) I started writing blogs because I'm so old school. I'm like, I'm going to go back to the first content that's smart come it's going to come back that's so smart erica because i'm telling you people are going to be like god i miss blogs you know like i just this all this video shit i just want to sit and read you know like you actually might be onto something (laughs) well i 
figure some people, you can either keep trying to be ahead of the trends or you can just go all the way back. But all the way back is retro and, you know, yes. cassettes went away for a long time and now they're kind of back. Wait, what did? Cassettes. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to yeah. be a cassette comedian. <laughs> 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 you should only release your next special on cassette and that's it. That would be funny. I mean, I you know I was I was in a very healthy way jealous of Gaffigan because he started his email list in like I mean I want to say like 2002 or it was like some ridiculous long time ago where he would when he was just doing clubs he'd pass out a sign up sheet he started collecting emails he never uh, stopped. And now literally the guy can sell out huge venues just off his email list. And I'm like, fuck, I was so busy chasing every new like Friendster, MySpace, Facebook, Twitter, you know, that I should have just stuck with the fucking original. And then, you know, I'd have like 18 years of an email list. Man, I've had club owners from the beginning say collect emails and I never listened and it's yeah that is the smartest thing everybody gets emails yeah yeah what what way are you finding is getting like how are you how are you reaching audiences the most for is it frequency of touring along with twitter along with certain amounts of press like what do you how are you marketing the shows yeah i mean i definitely notice in different venues it feels like I have different turnouts, you know, because uh, Wise Guys, I did a dry bar special. Yeah. And that seems to really help there. So I have good turnouts there, but other places I don't have great turnouts. It's it's hard to know sometimes because it feels like even as vocal as you can be on social media about a show, I it, have you noticed that no matter what city you're in, you could be talking about a show leading up to it a million times. And then you leave that city and the next week, someone's like, when are you going to come to Denver? And you're like, I was just. I know. It's like, they don't pay attention. Nobody pays attention to your posts. Well, there's just so many now. Like it's just all, it's just, it's just so much. I think, I think you're right. I think the email thing is the main thing. Yeah. I should be sending out emails telling people where I am. Yeah, I, I, I do. I do think about those, you know, in, in the time really kind of before the Internet, it's like, oh, you'd go on Johnny Carson once. And then all of a sudden, all your rooms would be full. And you're like, ah, oh, there is By the way, I spoke to a 25 year old who said she didn't really know who Johnny Carson was. Oh, I totally get that because he's been off the air longer than she's been alive. But like, how do you not know who he is? <laughs> because he left in like 92 or something. So he's been, he's Johnny Carson's time off the air is now a grown ass adult. It's a 28 year old, you know, it's, he's about, about to round 30, you know, it's but just, isn't it crazy to think that people chase fame so much, but fame barely lasts at all. It, it, you know, it, you're absolutely right. And, and it, and we are in a time now where everyone like the fact that people refer to themselves as brands, it's like, well, people have just become mini corporations and fame is like a part of the economy of it. But yeah, it doesn't really, it doesn't give you anything lasting. 
and it's not entirely real. So it really is just about feeling like a momentary sense of attention, but that's also a hamster wheel. Cause that, I think once people are on that, it's like, there's never enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I think that's why I really, I know it sounds kind of like idealistic, but I really do think if people could just focus on doing the things they actually like doing, it would make people happier. I could not agree with you more. And I know that that's difficult to implement sometimes, especially because we work in a business where we, to a degree, need the attention of people because we're comedians and also we need people to show up. But it's just, how you know, finding that balance between getting enough so that you can perform, but not so much that it becomes like obsessive or addictive or unhealthy, you know? How much time would you say you spend on, on uh, social media a day? I mean, I don't, not as much. Like, I don't know. In the last few months, I just, I haven't really felt like posting anything. I'm just sort of like, I don't, who cares, you know, what I did? Like, I just feel like, who cares? You know, like, no one cares what I did. You know, the world, you know, like, <laughs> I, like- I, I who who wrote on Twitter at one point like I'm back and I was like nobody nobody noticed you were gone <laughs> like you don't have to say I'm I just feel like I'm doing the world a favor by posting less because there's just so many posts and there's just so much to keep up on and I just sort of feel like you know and then and then I and then I watched that that documentary on Netflix but I can't uh this um the social, oh fuck, I can't remember what it's called. Oh yeah, the social experiment. I think so, yeah. But and it's basically the stuff that we already knew, which is like, well, everything is commodified by by someone in some way, and so it's all just designed to keep you on there and turn everything that you think is a meaningful emotion into a way to sell a banner ad or market something at you. And so, you know, so I don't know. I. I mean, I'll, I'll sort of scroll through because I, you know, like I like to see what other people are up to. And I follow a lot of like house restoration uh, accounts and, and, and piano and guitar accounts and stuff. And so I feel like I'm exposed to a lot of, I, I feel like I'm directing the algorithm, like just show me this shit, you know? Um, what, do you, what do you follow mostly? Um, probably mostly comedian type people, but then sometimes I'll get into psychology. Yeah. Like I'm really into psychology right now. So like I'll follow people like that. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, I do think I was trying to, I was trying to turn it into a bit and it just, I could never, I could never give it the legs that it needed to really be funny as more of just like a, huh. Um, (laughs) uh, I think, uh, a friend of mine and I used to refer to those bits as uh, the club name was uh, Charlie Good Points. <laughs> or I was like, oh, that's a good point, but it's not. Very oh, funny. that's. I think I have a bunch of those. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie Good Points. And Charlie the point, Good the point, Points. The point being that, you know, someday are we going to look at this period of time in social media the way that we look at like cigarettes or like, you know, like it, in the 30s, the 40s, 50s, everyone smoked. and that, But now we look back and go, oh my God, they smoked on planes. And that someday that we'll look back at social media and be like, everything that's everything that that we have that well, most things that aren't healthy started as like a well-intentioned, like maybe it was good for you, like how heroin used to be in cough syrup and cocaine was in soda. And then they were like, oh no, no, that's bad. And so will that also be the same with social media? And and so when you say you're looking at psychology, are you sort of 
are you studying sort of like what some of the the effects might be? Do we even know at this point? Oh, no, that was just to see why I was dating so many narcissists. <laughs> <laughs> You'll give me too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> I know there was a there was a I, there was a really great bit in your thing about uh, we both need to love you less, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's a great joke. It's a really great joke. Thanks. Have you been, uh, do you, do you, have you, I know you've been doing a lot of stuff. Has your, do you feel like your writing has been thriving in this last year? Do you, are you inspired a lot or how, how have you Well, been- it's been, it's been tough because I think, you know, because we haven't been experiencing a lot with other people. Like I think I generated most of my material from other people you know, just weird interactions with human nature. And so without that, I have a lot of material that's like, I was watching this or I watched that. (laughs) (laughs) I went to the grocery store again, you know. Yeah, I I really was thinking about, because the thing, when when I listened to Sad Lemon, I hadn't listened to like a, like a club, in a really long time. And it just, I had that feeling of like, Oh my God, I miss this so much. Like I really do. Like you can kind of hear, you know, like the crowd and some glasses clinking, like just the vibe of the club. I, it really made me miss it. Like, Oh, that's a thing that I used yeah, to Yeah, like the sound sound. So It is true. There's nothing real. There's nothing like it. I think that's maybe why we just don't feel great about social media because we know there's nothing that captures the essence of what we do, like a live show. Yeah, and the, and the getting to meet other comedians or meet local comedians and sort of like discover new people and just all feel like that that communal aspect, it's so tempting to never leave your house because we don't really, you know, like it's, there are a lot of things that are designed to keep us at home, you know? And, uh, and then we couldn't leave. But yeah. so, like the communal aspect of it is so... Is so important. Yeah, like this weekend when I was at Wise Guys, I just sat with the openers for like two hours after the show just talking about jokes, you know? Oh, that's great. It just felt so good to just talk shop. Yeah, yeah. Did you guys, did you pull out notebooks and go over jokes or were you just sort of talking about like jokes in general? Um, We sort of just went over different things, I think, during the show. And then we were helping, I think we were just naturally helping each other with tags and stuff. Oh, that's the best. I know. It felt really nice to just be able to talk about jokes. So are there other shows that you have coming up or where, you know, like where can people see you as the touring, you know, begins to open up more? Um, well, I'm going to be at Good Nights um, the 8th to the 10th. Yeah. And then I'll be... Um, in Seattle at Laugh Seattle. Yep. And then I'll be in Iowa at uh, the Des Moines Funny Bone. Cool. And I think that's it for now. What's your ideal touring schedule? Would you, are you someone who wants to tour like, you know, 45 weeks out of the year or do you like to have it a little more in moderation? I think I go through phases like when I'm I don't know if you feel this but like when I'm on the road I'm like I can't wait to get home and then when I'm home I can't wait to get on the road so I'm just 
I'm like never satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that's necessary? Like in, in, in the sort of, in your pursuit of psychology, do you feel like a certain <laughs> amount of dissatisfaction is necessary to kind of keep us motivated? Yeah, probably. You kind of have that, you need a little angst, I think. Right. To keep doing it. Cause it isn't, I mean, it's not an easy job, you know? It's not like a normal thing to want to do. Right. But I also wonder, like, is comfort the enemy of art? Like, do we, are we creative because we're dissatisfied in some way or we're like, we feel uncomfortable or we're trying? Have you ever read, by the way, I was just talking to somebody else about this book. Have you read A Gentleman in Moscow? Moscow? No. no. Um, by Amor Tolle, Tolls? I don't know how to pronounce anything right now. Like <laughs> bad Moscow. It's Moscow, right? Like you're it's not Moscow. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I've always said Moscow, but but you know, I grew up in the south and sometimes <laughs> like southern pronunciation. Wait, where did you grow up again? Um primarily Tennessee, uh but Oh, cool. But 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 we moved my family my mom and stepdad and I moved to California when I was in high school. So I, I've been here for a considerable amount of time. Um, but I still feel like, I, but I have Southern roots. Right. Okay. Um, anyway, it's a great book, A Gentleman in Moscow or Moscow. Um, <laughs> because there, there's a great, the reason I thought of it is there's a great passage about like, you know, how he used to live this high life of convenience and everything was handed to him on a silver platter. And then there's a great line where he's like, but like the inconveniences are what mattered most to me. And I don't know. I just always think of that. uh, I always think of that passage, like whenever things are really difficult where you're just like, actually that's where a lot of the good stuff is. Yeah. I mean, that's such a great point be, th- that you bring up because it, it is like, that's where growth happens. That's where like creativity can happen. And, you know, I, I always sort of make the comparison with like, you know, someone can make a $200 million movie and it's not great. And someone can make a $2 million movie and it's brilliant. And they're like the $200 million movie often can almost suffer from infinite resource where it's like, well, they're, they didn't necessarily have certain obstacles that they had to think around. So they, they just kind of threw money at it and that doesn't always, you know, but having those obstacles are the things that kind of um, inspired creativity that they created necessity to figure out like to problem solve. Yeah. I to- I definitely think that's true. Um, yeah. I think that's often why like, you know, comics like Chappelle still go out, to the you know he still goes out to these clubs and just workshop stuff with with comics who are you know still doing the grind and everything he's like I gotta be with the people doing the grind yeah I, I mean you know it, it definitely there just isn't any other energy that's like it there's just nothing there is literally nothing else that you could compare it to there's nothing else that can substitute for it and it's just getting a group of people in a room you know, telling them some jokes, having fun for 90 minutes, and then you leave, they leave, and then you start it all over again. There's just nothing else that really feels quite like that. Yeah, that's why, I mean, I I guess that gives me hope that it's never going to completely die, 
You oh, know? comedy? No, yeah. I don't, it won't. People need it and, and, and people still appreciate it. And, and especially now, like, you know, it's, it, I think we've realized that these kind of communal experiences are, are, are really, you know, necessary. I mean, I, I don't think people are going to maybe go back into offices in a lot of cases for quite a long time, but certain communal experiences, I think, are, are really needed to kind of like to connect, you know, like it's. Yeah. It's, it's the connection that I crave for sure with that. And you don't get that online. No, no, because I think it, it, it's like a good substitute. It's sort of like a protein bar versus like, Oh, you actually ate a meal, you know, like, because yeah. it, it, it satisfies a little bit of the connection but I still think your brain processes it in a different way than when you are in a room breathing the same air, you know, looking at people's faces and, you know, like we didn't evolve to look at a weird moving two-dimensional representation of things. We evolved to be communal, I think. I don't know. Yeah. And there's something kind of, especially like during this time, it felt kind of, um, I don't know, sort of, it just felt peaceful. Like, oh, everyone's freaking out online all the time. And then you see people in real life and everyone's like, oh, we're like, we're okay. You know, like (laughs) like everyone's doing okay. (laughs) Have you, have you been in a situation yet where you're in the club and then like someone coughs in the room and everyone just kind of turns slowly? I I feel like I have a weird fear about that, that I want to be in a club and someone's going to (laughs) go and then everyone's going to be like, (gasps) like, has that happened? Oh yeah, that's true. Actually, I haven't even noticed that. Oh good. Okay, good. Yeah, I haven't noticed that. Good, good, good. Good. Yeah. <laughs> no coughing. Okay, good. Yeah, I'm still I, I feel like it's good there's gonna be a readjustment period, you know, to to really kind of get comfortable with it again. I just I don't know quite know what to expect. Are you are you like do you have a goal as far as timeline goes? No, you know, you know, my wife and I, like I said, we're we're taking it slowly. And I guess if I were to take a stab at it, it, maybe the fall, like if everything keeps moving along in a positive direction, you know, then I would say the fall seems like a likely, and I know that, you know, there are places I could go before, but I just feel like I may not be emotionally ready. And also I don't think my new set's going to be ready by then anyway. So yeah, I don't know that that's kind of, part of it too i don't even know when you said uh, the fall i was like what are we in right now like oh we're in the spring i guess we're <laughs> we're in the spring it's already april this is crazy this is crazy yeah it just it's just moving so fast and and i just wonder have you got have you spent a lot of time outside during this time yes because we coincidentally got a dog a month before quarantine we got a puppy a month before quarantine and Smart. You know, Lydia said it was the best thing that could have happened because otherwise, like it's, he's the thing that gets us out of the house. We go on walks. Those walks are wonderful. They get us outside. It's like, I don't think we would have thought to just walk around the neighborhood without a dog. So that's been good. What, what kind of Lydia? dog is it? Oh, he's called an otter hound. It's like a giant, um, sort of like a cousin of an Irish wolfhound. So he's a big, he's like a 120 pound dog. And um, he sort of looks like a big sheepdog. Um, 
they're very sweet tempered. He's a, he's a sweet dog, but um, you know, a big That's dog. That's great that you have a dog now. Yeah, have you been getting outside? Well, you've been traveling, so you have been going out. Yeah, but I've also been, I got much more into hiking. I never was like a big hiker before. And yeah. then now I now I really need to be with nature more. So that's been really nice. That's good. And and do you feel like, uh, you know, when we're young, it's so easy to kind of take the piss out of people. Be like, oh, what are you hiking? What are you meditating? What are you doing yoga for? Whatever. And you start to get older and your head just feels like this jumbled mess. And then you start doing that shit and you feel better. And you're like, God damn it. They, oh. This is yeah, why. it really does work. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, the cliches work. It's so annoying. Are you connecting with nature? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I am. Okay. Because it's get you out of your fucking head. <laughs> yeah. I know. And it's right there. And we live in LA, so we don't really have an excuse, you know? It's like right there. I know. And we're so weather spoiled, you know? I saw a deer at um, Griffith Park. Oh, um, that's great. And I was walking alone and it was like early, early-ish, but it had just rained. So no one was out. Yeah. And there was just this deer just standing there, like in the middle of the path. That Erica, that was your spirit deer. You know, I don't want to. I thought so. I thought so. <laughs> 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 that deer is your Patronus. Now, like, whenever you're up against something, you're just going to be able to cast a deer. It's just going to be a deer. Just yes. Gonna... How fucking rad would that be? It was be very if magical. If you were being heckled, and then all of a sudden a fucking deer just appeared and, like, stomped on a guy. Like, how how, how much fun would that be? That's so imaginative. <laughs> like, I feel like that's some surreal, you know... <laughs> What's his name? David uh Lynch? No, I'm just stealing from Harry Potter. It's just yeah. Harry Potter. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was someone else's imagination. I just was borrowing. I thought it was borrowing. more sophisticated than that. No, 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 no. I'm just uh, <laughs> I was just referring to a young adult book series. <laughs> My niece and nephew love Harry Potter. Yeah, I you know I should say adult book series. You know what? Adults. <laughs> Young adult. We were adults. We're adults. It's fine. <laughs> um, uh, you know, as we're wrapping this up, is there anything else you want to plug? Uh, Levian Rhodes is, when is it actually, Comedy Dynamics is putting it out. When does it actually drop? April 13th. April 13th. Fantastic. I think it's so cool that you did this. And oh, uh, thanks. No, it's, it's just been, uh, it's always great. Like, I love, like, you know, meeting funny people and then watching how they flourish and how they kind of have their own paths and stuff. And so, you know, it was a real pleasure to have you on the show. And uh, likewise, it's nice to actually talk to you because even though I did at midnight, we never really got to chat. So it's nice to get to talk. So insane. I mean, the, when I think about doing that show four days a week, because it aired the same day, just the turnover rate, is ins- it was insane. Like when some people say, do you miss that midnight? I go, I miss it, but I don't miss the schedule because you're just, you just can never even sit down for a second. It's just go, 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 go. Nonsense. Yeah. It was insane. And you had to talk the entire time. Like you didn't get, you didn't get any breaks during the actual show. 
No. And I was also like recording podcast, like I was recording podcasts at lunch breaks and a lot of times after the shows. And <laughs> Oh my gosh. You know, and, and, you know, I'm surprised you weren't more cranky. You were always very nice. Well, I loved what I was doing, but I'm sure, but I, but I could, that I had those days where I was just like, I don't, I think I need a break. I think I need to take time off. And, and it's interesting to hear you talk about like hiking and getting out there and breathing and all that stuff, because we really do kind of romanticize this idea that it's a good thing to work yourself into the ground. And again, maybe it's a getting older thing, or maybe it's a perspective from the last year, but I sort of feel like I don't, to your earlier point about how fame and all that stuff, it just doesn't last. It's like, shouldn't you, you kind of should enjoy and be, you know, like you shouldn't grind yourself into a nub. Like you should really kind of find the balance. Do you, are, are you good at that? Well, no, but I've been really working on it, you know, because yeah. I think, I just don't think it's sustainable to, right. to, to, to act like that, to put your profession as the main thing at, with at the expense of your your whole being yeah because you don't have any control over how the business goes you don't have any control over whether you're going to get a part whether someone's going to buy a pitch you know how many people are going to show up how many and so you know it, in what ways in what what advice do you have for people in what ways to not start to place their value in these kinds of external things that can really hurt them if they're not careful because they, you know, it's like you're, you have to find that internal value. How do you, how do you, how, how would you advise people about that? Um, well, I've been doing a lot of work on this and like, I think a lot of it is I didn't understand what liking myself meant for a long time. You know, when people are like, you have to love yourself. Right. You have to like yourself. I think before I thought it was like, well, I love myself if, I get this <laughs> or I love myself if this person likes me, you know? So now it's more like, Oh, I've got these weird traits or I've got this thing about me. And like, I like that about myself. I like this. And I, I'm much more accepting of who I really am than who I thought I was. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, cause I, like I'm kind of a loner. I like a lot of alone time, but I used to force myself to hang out with people all the time. Cause I thought, well, I should want to be around people. Right. But now that I'm like, Oh no, actually I like being alone, but then I'm also okay with that. Right. Then it's like, Oh, then it's like, I can just be alone and be okay with it. Whereas before it's like, well, I like it, but I, I shouldn't like it. Right. I, I do think that comes out of that period of time when you're in your twenties though, and you're trying to figure out like, where do I fit in? Where, you know, like where you're just kind of friends with everybody. Cause you're like, you know, and then you start getting older, you're like, well, who am I? And what types of experiences do I want to have? And who do I really connect with? And what's important to me, you know? And I think some of that's just a because when you're young, when you're young, young, you just, when you're like a teenager and you're in your 20s, you are just trying to fit yourself into things rather than like right. just being yourself and kind of letting things come to you that work for you. Yeah. Yeah. And also just, yeah, I think it's good to take breaks. Like, I think what you're doing is great because you're, you know, I mean, obviously a lot of people have been doing it, but I think even if there wasn't a pandemic, it would be good to take breaks. 
but I just don't feel, I just haven't felt inspired to write a ton. I, you know, like I would, it'd be nice to say like, oh, it was a real conscious decision, but I just, I'll, I'll kind of like, I'll make a couple notes here and there, but I just, and then I go, I don't know, you know, and then, but I just don't feel motivated to like write. So I, so but that, how do you feel in general? Like, do you feel pretty good about things in general? Yeah, I feel, well, I mean, you know, besides the sort of horrifying state of the world, I, I do feel <laughs> like, I, I, I will say that the one positive, you know, well, the, the many positive things is that I've gotten to spend all this great time with my wife that I never would have, we both would have been running off all over to the four corners of the world doing work or doing whatever. And so that's been amazing. Like, I don't, I kind of don't, I don't really want to go back to the other way because I love spending time with her and and um, and the dog, it's like I like the dog, you know, like we'll walk the Aww. dog. And that's that's fun, and and so, you know, the space feels good. Like instead of work, 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 I gotta cram in a little space to just like rest for a day. It's like, no, I don't know. I I, I kind of the space feels good. I don't feel like what am I? I'm, I know I'm forgetting something, or God, I don't want to fuck up this thing, or I hope this. I hope people like this or I hope this is funny or I hope this is, you know, that constant nagging stress that just runs at all the time when you think like, you know, I want to be successful. And then, but then what comes with that is, uh, it can be just that feeling in your chest all the time. Like, like someone's just pushing on your sternum nonstop. Right. It sounds like you're kind of like content. Yeah. And I, and, and I do want, and that does scare me a little bit because I'm like, what if I'm so content that I'm like, I don't need to travel anymore to do stand up. I like it, but I don't like, I'm, I am worried a little bit that like, Oh, I, I hope, I wonder if I can get back into that mode of, of but touring. maybe it's just an adjustment of like how much you need to do it. Like maybe you don't need to do it every weekend or maybe, you know, like maybe balance is good. Maybe, but I, but I, I love your advice about just sort of finding, like sort of picking those things that you are, that you like about yourself or you're content with about yourself so that, because then that really sort of takes the focus on having to do a thing, you know, like, and, and I think part of it is the, you know, would you say that there's some truth in the wanting to do something, but not needing to do it emotionally? Yeah. Like if, yeah, you think you want or thinking you want to do something versus actually wanting to do it I just mean like the wanting like hey I want to perform because it's fun not like I need to perform because I need people to show up and I need to be liked and I need that you know it's like the wanting something and enjoying it for its own purposes rather than like that. no I think that's way healthier like I'm tr- I'm trying to get to that place I don't I don't think I'm there yet because I think I still have that need factor Right. But I think once you do it for the wanting to do it, you'll probably like come up with all this new material just because you're not forcing it so much. Right. Do you, and then last question, are you someone who writes every day or do you, do you kind of make yourself write or do you just sort of like as, as you're inspired to write? I sort of write just as I'm inspired to write, but I do write, I do do a lot of free writing. Uh Uh-huh. So if I feel stuck, I'll just do like some kind of free write thing. Were there any kind of, uh, 
I said last question before, but now I guess this one. Were there were there <laughs> were there any tools that you were able to pull from conservatory or to pull from you know from acting conservatory or from music school or like is there like sort of interdisciplinary tools that you've pulled in stand up? I think all of those disciplines require just doing it and doing it and doing it. And so I think I wouldn't I probably wouldn't have stuck with stand up as long as I had you know, in the beginning, because I was really bad in the beginning, you know, had I not come from other arts, because I really, you know, with, with cello, you just pick up the cello every day, and you practice every day, and you don't right. miss days, and then stand up, it's kind of the same, like you get up, whether you feel like it or not, and you just kind of grind it out. And so I think it's the, re- the repetitive nature of all those arts kind of lends itself well. Do you have any musical advice for this sort of, because cello's incredible technical proficiency is required to play cello, as is guitar, as is any instrument, but guitar really, it's that same kind of stringed instrument. What do you do when you're trying to get something and you feel like I have been trying and trying and trying to get this run on a piece, it's just not getting into my fingers, I don't know. Do you step away or do you push through it? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think you step away for a bit. Okay. You know, unless you have a deadline, like unless you have to learn it by the next day, I think you take a break and then you go back. No one is requiring me to do anything on guitar. So I feel... (laughs) (laughs) Do you have a big thing coming up? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have that guitar recital where I'm just going to go stand up. Wait, did you say you play a little piano? I, well, yes, but I play more piano. I play guitar because I can bring a guitar to stand-up clubs and I can't bring a piano. But if I had my choice, I would probably play piano, I think, because I play. Well, why don't, if you're, if you're feeling stuck, why don't you just go to the other instrument, take a break and play the other thing for a bit? And be like, I can do this one. And then, and then sort of, yeah. Yeah. Get your confidence back up and then go over to the other one. <laughs> because I'm not great at either one. So it, it can be a little bit. Yeah, just a, go back and forth. It's a little frustration pong, like just back and forth. Oh, okay. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Well, uh, I really can't tell you how much I appreciate this. Thank you so much for doing the podcast. And I really wish you the best this year. And I, I hope, you know, I, I, I hope that it becomes safer and clubs fill up and then, you know, you can have that, that, that giant, you know, room experience again, you know, in no time. I feel like we're close, right. Or are some cities to just doing that anyway. I bet we're going to start opening clubs here. Is that what you meant? Well, not just LA, but I just mean like, are there are are there cities where clubs are just full now? Or are you saying that they're all at like twenty five percent capacity? Well, Wise Guys is more than twenty. I think Wise Guys is maybe sixty percent or something. Oh, okay, okay. I feel like that would be good from the standpoint of like I wouldn't have to feel responsible for not filling the room. I'd be like, it's just the rules. Like that's what I've been feeling. That's <laughs> I'm like, I wish I could say it. It's really different, but it's this is exactly how it's been. Probably would have sold this out, but uh, you know, protocols and shit. So uh 
60%. I just go and I say, this is a sold out show. Who, who knew you just had to sell fewer tickets? And, <laughs> That's right. And, I can sell out any venue. <laughs> hey, listen, that's all that matters. Like you get to tell, you get to, you get to reward yourself with the, I totally sold out. I mean, by the way, totally flying in the face of all the healthy discussion we had before about don't let things define you. Don't worry. Right. Okay, I fucking sold out. I fucking sold out this room. I'm good. <laughs> I didn't say I, I've arrived yet with being healthy. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm right there with you. I totally, I totally feel the same. But uh, thank you so much for being here, Erica Rhodes. It was so wonderful chatting with you, and uh, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you, and thanks for getting you know getting me started on at midnight. Oh, uh, you know, uh, absolutely, and maybe th- maybe maybe there's another panel show at some point in the future, and you will absolutely be invited back on that one. Aw, thanks. All right, take care, Erica. All right, you too. Bye, Chris. Bye. ID 10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 65th National Finals of Distinguished Young Women. Every year, one girl from every state leaves her family, her whole life behind, for two weeks and spends each day training, practicing, preparing. Because to win this competition, she needs to wow a panel of judges with her academic record, her athletic ability, her speaking skills, and a show-stopping talent. I met her and I was like, she's gonna win. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. When I sing that song about being a black woman in America, there's gonna be backlash about that. Oh, I'm just so happy. So happy. I don't want to see them. I don't want to talk to them. And then we stayed with them for the next year, unpacking just what happened those two weeks in Mobile. I'm Shimoliai, and from Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.